The following is a presentation of Gallery Church Downtown, part of a family of neighborhood churches seeking to display God's greatness to the world. For more information, please visit gcbdowntown.com. Now in the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menean, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. The two of them, sent on their way by the Holy Spirit, went down to Seleucia and sailed from there to Cyprus. When they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the Jewish synagogues. John was with them as their helper. They traveled through the whole island until they came to Paphos. There they met a Jewish sorcerer and false prophet named Bar-Jesus, who was an attendant of the proconsul Sergius Paulus. The proconsul, an intelligent man, sent for Barnabas and Saul because he wanted to hear the word of God. But Illamus, the sorcerer, for that is what his name means, opposed them and tried to turn the proconsul from the faith. Then Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked straight at Illamus and said, You are a child of the devil and an enemy of everything that is right. You are full of all kinds of deceit and trickery. Will you never stop perverting the right ways of the Lord? Now the hand of the Lord is against you. You are going to be blind for a time, not even able to see the light of the sun. Immediately, mist and darkness came over him, and he groped about, seeking someone to lead him by the hand. When the proconsul saw what had happened, he believed, for he was amazed at the teaching about the Lord. God bless the reading of the word. Before we jump into this um, teaching, uh, I want to just share a couple things that I know will um, be on the podcast for people that are not here, that are listening. Um, there's, there has been a crazy summer, and there are a lot of things that we are behind on. And uh, so we've lost some key leaders in our church family just due to the fact that our community is very transient. And so we're in the process of regrouping. And so, like, for these next two Sundays, we're um, I'm not going to be offering gallery kids, but it's also going to be a, a reminder to all of us that there's places that we can serve and invest in our children. There's ways that we can serve and invest in one another. And we don't need, as a church family, to, to relegate all what I would call our... Um, Family, our family responsibilities to other people. Like we need to, we need to watch out for one another. We need to serve one another. And so, if you find yourself just in a place of comfort, coming and enjoying what's being offered to you, but you haven't found a place to serve, would you pray and ask the Lord to really give you a heart for saying, "Well, I don't want to just benefit from what I'm receiving here, but I also want to contribute to it." And so, we we need people to be signing up to be engaging in volunteerism. I also want to let parents know that we do have a room if you head towards the restrooms to the right. So if, if your child needs a new space just for a few minutes to get recentered during the service or there's a changing table back there as well, if you need something, it is available for you um, uh, as well. But uh, like I was saying, our, our summer has been crazy. Um, my family has experienced deep loss and a lot of pain. And, and so we are revamping and trying to regroup. And I was joking with Cameron, who read the scriptures earlier, and his wife Cassidy, is that um, my wife keeps saying to one another, this September's coming. 
Like, like, you know, like everything's going to be better in September. Like, is that not the biggest lie ever? You know, have you ever not, like said, I know that this date, like I'm going to give my dissertation on this day and then the week after is going to be freedom. And then you get to the week after. And it was just as hard as the week before your dissertation. Right. I mean, we always have this desire to say that if I can just get to this date, then this things will get better. And sometimes that's true, but sometimes it's not. Sometimes it's our way of just coping with the stress that we're under. But, but the month of September for us as a church family is really going to be a chance for those of you that are new to, I feel like, really find your step in your place. And for those of you that have been with us for a while and, and you felt the, the, the pain and the disconnect of the summer and you're ready to re-engage, I, I want you guys to know that I think that God is getting ready to do something not only good for our church but good for our city um, there's so many things, even talking to other pastors in this city over the course of the summer, um, there's, there, there is a movement of God in Baltimore bigger than what we see. And I don't want us to lose sight of that. There are some exciting things that I think it's not just happening, but can I make it a little bit more personal? I think God wants us to participate in it because why else would we be here? We're not here just because you came here to get an education or for a job or whatever, but God has you here to be on your first calling, which is to do what? To, to make disciples by telling people about Jesus Christ. That's our number one calling. And so you could be a nurse, a doctor, a teacher, law enforcement. You could do whatever it is that you do. I hope that you're not a parking police officer, but um, whatever it is um, that you do, then I encourage you to say that my first and foremost responsibility is to represent Jesus Christ in this city. And so we're getting ready to step into some things that I think are going to help us, like at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus told his disciples and everybody listening that was listening to him talk to them and encourage them, saying to them, you need to make sure your feet are firmly planted on the rock, right? Because storms come. And some of you right now are in storms. I need you to listen intently today. Some of you are in a sunny day. Things are going well. You are getting promotions. You are getting offered hands in marriage. You are doing all these different things. You're, there is just excitement in your life. You are on the upslope of joy. And then others of you are like, man, I can't even raise my arms in church at all because all I feel like is it's not true, right? So there's a huge gap in those of us sitting in this space. And really, this passage of scripture that Cameron read for us really does speak to a lot of that. And we entitled this particular teaching today, Compromise or Confrontation. Now, last week, the teaching was about the first place where Christians were called Christians in Antioch. We talked about the significance of the city. We talked about how in that chapter, the initial 12 aren't really talked about anymore in church history. So it's like changing of the guard, like the passing of the baton for the men that were with Jesus because Peter was imprisoned and had a target placed on him. So he had to pass the baton of leadership off to James and others in the Jerusalem church because he had to step back more into a hiding role or went somewhere else that we're not sure what he was doing because the scriptures don't really tell us that. But he had to give up the leadership of the Jerusalem church 
so that they were safe and so that he could continue to be effective until ultimately he lost his life telling people about the good news of Jesus Christ. And so we shared a lot of, of that with you last week. But what we began to understand was is that at the deepest level of who we are, we have to be king's people. The king's people. That's what Christians mean. That's what the word Christian really means, is I'm one of his people. And so if Jesus really is on the throne, then you and I have to line up our lives with the way that he is the king. The only problem is, is that most of us don't want there to be one person to tell us what to do because it goes against everything innate in us. But yet in our faith, we have to serve our risen king. And so everything now in Acts 13 is going to be in regards to how a new wave of disciples start to live out what it's like to serve a risen king. Now, many of these people never saw Jesus. Many of these people only heard rumors about what it was. And many of these people weren't even living when Jesus was serving on ministry. So from Acts 12, 1 through 12, there were a lot of people that were witnesses. We're like, yeah, I remember seeing Jesus roll through Galilee. I remember being out there fishing one day and a storm came up and then the storm just went away. Right? There's a lot of people that were witnessing to that, but now we're in a whole group of people that have never seen it. And so what will happen in their life is that they're going to be tempted to compromise their faith or to be confrontational. Now, just saying that in our world today means a whole lot of different things. There are a lot of people right now that are confrontational about everything, and that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about us telling people about the hope of Jesus Christ. So set aside political views, debates that you've been having. This is about Jesus being Lord of all. That is the only issue that I'm talking to you about in regards to confrontation today. There will be other times for us to talk about ways that we confront people in other areas. But in this passage, when our church was just a dream, like, well, a better way of saying it for me would be it was just a vision. Like when, when, when I was sitting on the beach in North Carolina and the Lord really emplaced on my heart Baltimore, multi-ethnic, multi-economic, churches working together for the kingdom of God. That was the vision. Now, the problem was when I was on the beach, I was a church of four people. My wife and my two kids had to be apart, right? I mean, and so at that point in time, there was no other church. Most of you may not even know the history of our church, but when we moved here to Baltimore, there were four people attending, and then a few more people decided they wanted to help us because they believed in a vision, but a vision isn't necessarily something that's a reality, right? And so there are a lot of people that will come in and look at your website and see, well, we believe in the vision of your church, but most people come to church, they want to see it, right? So there's the people that can be what I call the, um, the, like the, what you, uh, the explorers, the people that just don't mind going where they just hear there's gold, right? But there's other people that aren't going to move until they know there's gold, right? And so we, there you go. Trail, my, my wife is helping me remember words. It's been a tough summer. I need an interpreter for you guys, right? <laughs> and so there are people that are willing to just follow a dream, and then there's others that want to see a reality. And, the, and so that also plays out in church, where some people don't mind building the church, but others want to sustain the church. Big difference, right? Because when you're sustaining something, you're actually helping keep something moving. And so our church, with the transient light above it, can really glean a lot from an Acts 13 passage. 
because we're constantly trying to recreate ourselves because people are constantly going, constantly leaving, constantly pursuing what they feel like God wants for them. And so we're in the process of doing it. So when our church was just a dream, there was a church in the South that heard about our family feeling a missionary calling to Baltimore. And they were a large Southern church, which when you say large Southern church, that's generally 2,000 or more. Like a large church in Maryland is like 500 people. A large church in the South is 2,000 or more. And so that's just geographically, like you pull up to a church like, wow, this is bigger than the mall I go to. But um, <laughs> the, So we got invited to go to this church. And they were known for how they loved on what they called missionaries. And they were viewing my family as a missionary to Baltimore. And so they invited us to a missionary Christmas party. They sent me a detailed question and answer sheet for each of my children and my wife and our church. And we just answered all the questions. And we showed up to this missions conference, had a chance to engage with some of their people. They hosted us and about 50 other missionaries from around the world. So it wasn't just like a couple of us. This is a big church. They purchased for my family everything on those lists. Everything. Our entire office was set up by them. They bought us copiers and printing cartridges and post-it notes and highlighters. Everything for an office that you would need to start a church was waiting for us at the altar of their church one Sunday as people just brought them specifically to my family. And they, they had packages specifically designed for our children where they brought them and they were on our list. And so my son got a personalized bat bag, right, for his baseball team. And he got my, and, and I think one of them got a little, I don't know if you remember this, but they were about the size of a quarter. They were an iPod back in the day that was really cool. Some of you guys might have, I might have one of those in a drawer, right? But there was, they, literally, that's how detailed they were in all of this. But I had a chance to go sit with the pastor at the table. And when Albert was with me at the time, and I think I still have a bruise in my leg from Albert grabbing my leg under the table, but the pastor was listening to our conversation and our story and was wanting to share with us all about his ministry and the life of our church. And he basically said to me, oh, you don't need to go do that in Baltimore. Like totally like saying, dismissing the vision. And he's saying, you don't need to go and try to be multi-economic or multi-ethnic. You need to go and reach the rich because the gospel of Jesus Christ was designed to go from the rich to the poor. Now can you see why Albert grabbed my leg? He saw my blood pressure rising, and I literally almost threw my plate in this pastor's face, right? I, I was angry. Albert knows me well enough. He's known me for over 20 years, and he's only seen this eruption in me a few times, but he knew he needed to tap it, right? And he's like, look, like, this is not a teachable moment. This guy's not going to get this. And I got a few words out, and I never heard, nor did we ever hear from this church again, is it wrong for me to say I'm grateful we got the gifts? <laughs> um, but, yeah, it's really sad to say all that, but when you're moving here and you don't, you're on a dream, it's, it's nice to, to bring a, a few boxes along. But, um, but I say this to all of us in here, is that at some level, all of us in this room, when we have said we want to do something for Jesus, have been challenged in it. All of us. And... You may have just said, I, I just want to start reading my Bible every day, or you may have said, I want to do something for my community or for a local school, and the first day you stepped out, one of your friends was like, are you sure you want to do that? 
Do you really need this? Do you really want to give your time to that? Is it really valuable? Are you really going to make a difference? You know, there's little voices that are constantly going to come our way that are going to say, you know what, why don't you just compromise? But when it comes to Jesus, you and I can't back down from confrontation. We have to be willing. And so do we want, I put this on a slide for you, do we want a safe passage to mediocrity or a less traveled, dangerous route to obedience and getting the job done? Now, this summer, with all that's been going on and things that have happened in my family's life, man, I have, on many occasions, what I would say has had to eat our church vision. And that's not a compliment. That is a statement where many of us have experienced hurt, and you've reminded me of our church value and our church mission of treating each other like family, because many of us haven't felt like family. And so in the process of all that, when you remind somebody, like, you know what, you're really not doing what you say you're doing, that hurts, right? Can I get a nod? Yes. You guys know what that feels like? And so in order to continue to do the right thing, many occasions you have to keep pressing into it. Because at the end of the day, let's be honest, we fail each other more than we are successful with one another. We have a harder time keeping our commitments than it actually is on many occasions, uh, a truth that we've kept them. And it's a fight. Like, I have to choose to not be selfish today. I have to choose to lay that down. I have to choose to put other people's needs before my own. And then in many occasions, um, even like um, this week, we dropped our daughter off at, at, at college and, and dealing with the emotions of that. We'll table that for a moment. But, um, you know, just seeing my daughter sitting in her dorm room, finally set up and ready, knowing that she's about ready to step into a social world of change, right? You guys remember what it was like your freshman year, first day of class, and all the pressures you're about to feel. She's about ready to experience all that. And she sat on her bed, and her statement was, can't I just stay in here? I like my room. <laughs> you know, I'm like, well, number one, I hope you like your room, because I busted my butt to put this together. But um, is, is that, you know, you can't. This isn't where you're supposed to be. You need to go take on some battles. You need to go fight some things. And it takes effort. You have to remind yourself. You almost have to give yourself a pep talk. But it helps when we give each other pep talks. We don't shut each other out. That's why community is so important. And so the early Christians here did not not lose sight of the fact that they were supposed to be telling people about Jesus. But somehow in the last 200 years, maybe even the last... 1900 years, right, after the first century, something has happened and church has become more about our, like, um, our better understanding of the Bible or our Christianity has become more about something about, well, me just having a comfortable religious practice. But the early church, especially from Acts 2 all the way through the end, is what we're finding is, is that they were a radically transformed life. It wasn't just about us having a little bit of sanity in the world. It was about me saying, God, I'm not complete the way that I am. Jesus died so I can step fully into the person that Jesus had designed me to be. And the early church was believing in that. But life is seldom easy and is seldom straightforward. And so many things begin to happen. Now, let me just say one thing that's really not important to the sermon just for a moment. Saul is no longer called Saul. He's now Paul. 
Now, let me tell you why I believe that's to be true, even though the Bible really doesn't say that. Saul, in the Greek, is not a positive connotation. Saul, in the Greek, basically means that um, it's kind of like, um, I don't know, kind of like, like soft. Like he's not like a strong character man. He's, he's a, a, like walks with timidity and... Um, and that he's not confident and he's wavering and confusing. So the word in the Greek that translates to Saul's name is really like somebody that, that isn't really confident or strong. And so could you imagine, hey guys, sign up to hear Paul, the one that really, or you know, Saul, because it, it means that he's just soft and doesn't really have any authority. And so Paul was an easy way of changing it to a Greek name which from what I found in the first century was very common. People that were from other countries that were being overtaken by Rome very quickly learned that they had to assume a new name and a new identity in order to function underneath the Roman oppression and the Roman government. So that's why I believe ultimately that Saul, I think there's a personal journey there too, because Saul obviously was named after King Saul in the Old Testament, and he started out well and had a crash and burn ending. And even Paul in his writings in Rome, to the Roman church references King Saul, and there's moments in Acts that, are, that you can tell Paul actually referenced 1 Samuel and the things around. So I think Saul, in the intentionality, knew for his Jews in the synagogue, as well as the Greeks, that there needed to be a a clarity around his name that provided something more powerful. And that's all we have for that for today. So let me get back to the passage. Luke, writing about the church in Antioch, has incredibly positive accolades for them, talking about their discipline, their leadership, their, their ways of following after and pursuing the leading of the Holy Spirit. And man, can I tell you, I would love for people when they talk about our church to give those kind of accolades about who we are. Would it be nice for those people that come in and leave to walk out and say, wow, that church believes in prayer. And I I sat next to somebody that hadn't eaten in three days. Like they were fasting for something. I mean, wow, what a powerful testimony. We actually had an internet reporter pretend like they were interested in attending our church here a few years, about two years ago. And they basically sat in this section. So if I'm staring at this section, it's because I have a very vivid memory of him sitting there. Um, but he came in, he lied about how he heard about us because he wanted to kind of not let us run. He didn't want to come in and write out the first week and say, you know, what? I'm coming here for five weeks. I'm writing a story about you on the Internet. And at the very end of his article, he says, yes, the church kind of climaxes at the end with a group hug. That's the way he summarized his article. And you know, for those of you that have been around our church for a while, you know at the end we have a benediction and we hold hands. I'm like, so when did it become a group hug? But that's all right if we choose to hug one another. But the church in Antioch had an incredible testimony. And here's, and here's something that's said, and I want to bring it to your attention. They, the regular devotional pattern of their life, fasting and prayer surrounding worship of the Lord. Now listen, now imagine... Olivia and the team this morning leading us in worship. But not just us singing the lyrics, but in the midst of that praying. That's the practice that they were doing. And it not only went there, but they were waiting in the midst of that for the Spirit to give fresh, gener- fresh direction. Now, mind you, this was the early church. They didn't have the scriptures like we do. But the, but the problem for many of us is we are monofocused in our worship, which for sometimes that's a good thing. 
But our worship of the Lord is multidimensional. And that's many times what it takes is the maturity of us to grow into that. But how do we, as Paul told the early church, learn to pray without ceasing? That means whether I'm cooking dinner or I am meeting with a friend or I'm in church and I'm singing a song, how do I keep prayer engaged in that? How do I learn to talk to God all day long? Like, God, I'm about ready to walk up to Andrew. Father, what's going on in Andrew's life? How do I learn to walk up to Peaches and say, God, I'm getting ready to talk to Peaches, and, and what, what, what do I need? To, how do I need to love my sister well, right? That's me praying without ceasing, learning to keep all my activity, or us in the middle of a song about God breaking every chain. You and I learning to say, God, thank you for freeing me from this chain. Like, let me say to you, thank you for dropping my fear. Let me confess to you that there's something about this song that's reminding me of your truth, your love, your faithfulness. And so learning, as the early church did, to pray in regards to our worship, in regards to everything, brings a chance for the Lord to confirm and say some things to you and I. Now, we need to continue to learn and grow about fasting, but we'll talk more about that in the weeks to come. But, but you know what happened to them when they were doing this? God took two of their favorite leaders and sent them away. So you know what I want to say to you? Please don't pray. Please don't fast. <laughs> because we can't afford to lose any more leaders, right? That's how I feel on the inside. That's the human flesh, Ellis. The, you know, because, I mean, literally, as soon as I read this, it made me think of Brandon and Emily going to Cambodia in September. You know, I'm just like, Lord, I mean, it came, they were, you know, they were doing this. They were fasting and praying and worshiping and seeking a new voice from the Lord. And I just want to say, why did you have to be the ones to practice that discipline? Why couldn't somebody else have done it, you know? But, but yet this is what happens in the body life of the church when we're doing what we're supposed to be doing. We worship, we speak to God, God speaks back, we obey. It really can be that simple. But if you and I don't carve out the space and the time, then are we not surprised that we don't hear anything? Are we not surprised that it just seems like religious activity when we try it once, but it's not a part of our everyday life? Now, let me tell you guys this. I do know people in our church family that tried it once and God did something really big the first time, and that's not normal. The majority of us, It's the labor of our faith. But here, for all of you that are struggling with the silence of God right now, let me just say something to you right here in the midst of all of this. For those of you that are struggling to feel God's goodness, for those of you that are struggling to feel like God is noticing, I want you to know two things. Number one, stop comparing yourself to other people. Because only God knows why Peter's are set free from prison and James's are run through with a sword. Only God knows that. We cannot answer that. So when you and I decide in the midst of our darkness, in the midst of our despair, in the midst of our pain, to start comparing ourselves to each other, we are making it worse on ourselves. Because each of us has a unique calling of obedience to God. Each of us has a unique life, a unique set of things that he wants us to do, a unique audience that God wants us to reach. And some seem like they have it easier than others. 
But the second thing that I want to remind you of is really how this whole passage begins to end. And I'm going to jump to the very last slide, Lana, if you don't mind. But it's this idea that he is our help and that is a given. When you look at the end of or this end of this passage in Acts 1, 1 through 12, or Acts 13, 1 through 12, you will find that this church knew that their help came from the Lord Jesus Christ. They knew that the Lord Jesus Christ would send the Holy Spirit to help them. The, the, they knew that when their leaders were being sent away, that the Holy Spirit would be the one to show who the new leaders were going to be. They never, they never lost their faith. They never lost their trust in the midst of persecution and hardship and frustrations of all different kinds. So let me just say to those of you in here that aren't walking in the joy of the Lord, keep persevering. Hold on to your faith. Continue to trust. Don't give up on God, even though we can't understand. And sometimes we're praying for relief, but we can identify with Jesus because Jesus can identify with us. Jesus prayed all night long in the Garden of Gethsemane. His friends didn't even stay up to pray with him in the, in the Garden of Gethsemane. He wrestled with God about God's will and God's plan being revealed in and through him in the world. So it is okay for us to sweat or to perspire like great drops of blood saying, God, I want a different path. But at the end, Jesus set the example which the church in Acts began to live out. But if this is the path you want me to go down, I will go down it. But that is the maturity lesson for many of us in the church today. Is that most of us, when we pray that way, if God doesn't go the direction that we want it to go, then we get angry at him because we want it to be different rather than us to walk in obedience, knowing that at the end of that road is going to be much sweeter victory, but we don't want to go down that road many times. And I'll be honest with you, I'm speaking to you out of the overflow of my own life and my own testimony. There's so many things that we're experiencing here in Baltimore, so many things that our family has had to press through that I don't want to use the microphone as a chance to say, oh, poor pitiful princes, right? because we don't need to compare ourselves to one another. But I am learning that the fruit of the Spirit in life is perseverance and long-suffering. Why would those even need to be fruits if we didn't have something to persevere through? And so there's so much more in Acts 13, but I just I want to come back to the slide about fasting and praying. So when you and I learn to fast and when we are praying in and through our worship and we're waiting for the Spirit to give fresh direction, God does incredible things. Can I just simplify that to just say prayer and waiting? We have to figure out a way of distancing ourselves from all of the technology that's pulling at us. That also represents Netflix, FaceTime, Skype, Hulu, on-demand, text messaging, social media, A, B, C, D, E, F, G, all the different things. I mean, that right there represents a world of noises. And the downside is, unless we're disciplined to use these technologies, they become a distraction. 
Most of you use your phone on your Bible. Most of you use the phone on iPad or computer. Well, what's the problem with that? Your notifications keep popping up. So on my iPad, the only thing that pops up on Sundays here is text messages in case Olivia or somebody needs to send me a message during my sermon. That may have been bad information (laughs) to give some of you right now. Um, But every other notification on this is because this is where I read the Bible. This is where I read my books and my studies and all my online so I don't have to carry my library up to my rooftop. (laughs) Um, This is is, is it for me. But I've had to learn to control my notifications because what's the voice I want to hear? I want to hear my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, communicating to me through the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's what we need to be disciplined for because we're going to lose leaders. We're going to struggle to connect with new people. We're going to have new friends. We're going to be around people that aren't from the same continent that we're from. People are going to be learning different languages. and People are in different economics. And unless you and I learn to fast and to pray and worship, we're going to fail in how we communicate with one another. We're going to fail in how we embrace one another, walk with one another. And the early church was dominating the pressures of their day. And so here's two summary things I'm going to say about the other two characters, the Roman governor and the magician, I'll call them. The Roman governor was in awe about how the gospel went from the Jewish synagogue to the Gentiles in Cyprus. He was amazed at it, so much so that he had one-on-one conversations with Paul and Barnabas, and he was amazed, not just at the theologicalness of it, but the power in the truth of a resurrected Jesus as Lord in the Roman Empire. Like He was blown away by it. But there is the magician antagonist. Now, I will tell you this, and church, we need to wake up to this, There are things at work in the world that you and I probably don't want to admit. We want to ignore it. Now, for those of you that the strongest voices, we need to be careful that we don't pay too much attention to it. We need to be careful that we keep it at bay. We need to extend an arm saying, no, not in Jesus' name, right? But we need to be aware that there are things at play in our world today that are looking to break up the unity in the body of Christ And we need to be aware of that. And so we need to know, in this political hotbed of a culture that's in America right now, God can draw political figures to the worship of the Lord Jesus Christ through the testimony of his church. I want you to understand that. That's what happened here in Acts 13. The governor over this entire island became a believer in Jesus Christ, and he was a Roman governor, access to power that was only limited by his Caesar. Right? So he was way up there, and he became a believer in Christ due to the testimony of the church in his, in his, on his island. And the same thing can happen for us today. We must continue to share the hope of Christ, and we must be aware that there will be antagonizers. So let's not compromise and let's be willing to confront in the name of Jesus. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? We're going to get ready for the Lord's Supper. And I just want to lead us in a moment of prayer. And I just want to come back to something. If you were one of the ones hurting in here this morning, would you just take a deep breath and just say, Jesus, speak to me? If you are experiencing hurt, Just take a deep breath and just say, Jesus, speak to me. 
if you are experiencing great joys, if you feel reset and ready for life, would you just say, Jesus, please speak to me? And would all of us be willing to say in our prayer life, God, give me the courage and the strength to obey? Father, I pray over my brothers and sisters in here. We are a diverse group with diverse needs, and we need the power that resurrected Christ from the grave to be the life source through all of us. We will not be able to keep our commitments to the family of God unless the power of the Holy Spirit is present. Father, would you continue to speak from simple things like what we need to do with our life, how we serve in our churches, how we invest in our neighbors, how we invest at work. Lord, would you speak? Would you help us to know how to confront evil? And Lord, would you turn the eyes of governors on your church? And would they see a resurrected Christ in us? And Father, I'm even drawn to this magician thinking that Paul placed on him blindness, but it was in the midst of his blindness that you took him from a murderer of Christians to a leader of the church. Father, I pray for those that are in spiritual blindness right now that you would open their eyes to the truth of Jesus Christ. So, Father, too, as we come to the table, we don't want to just come take this for granted. We thank you for the gift of Jesus. We thank you for his body broken, his blood poured out. We thank you for the, the opportunity to hope in the fact that one day everything is going to be made complete in Christ. But, Father, right now, would you give us the courage as we are still at the table as we take a deep breath and we look at one another and we talk about the body broken and the blood poured out, Father, would you encourage your church to live like Christ through this Lord's table? Father, would you help us to keep our first calling, which is to announce the good news of Jesus Christ to people and to disciple them? So, Lord, would you help us to walk in that obedience today? And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.